0: Welcome to the Slavic Connection, brought to you by the Center for Russian, East European and
1: Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin.
0: Welcome to Slavic Connection. My name is Tom Rehnquist. And uh, today we have met with me Matthew Orr. Matthew is a cohort, a co-student in the Kreese department, also in the LBJ apartment, and a friend of mine. And uh, a little background on Matt. Matt graduated in 2016 from George Washington University. I'm reading off his resume. I don't have all this information in my head for the record. Um, <laughs> post-grad, he lived in Russia for two years? Two years total? Well,
1: yeah, a year after graduation and a year before graduation. Okay, so, yeah. excellent.
0: He uh, internshiped in multiple banks in Russia, did some research for policy analysis, trading, kind of jack of all trades, I would call him. Um, And afterwards, he's a Fulbright, teaching English for a year to a group of Duganite high schoolers in Russia. (laughs) There's just one (laughs) Duganite. And uh, now he finds himself in Texas, where he's from. He is from Houston, for the record. I'm from Boston. Boston is a far superior city. And uh, Matt right now is doing the bulk of his work on civics. He's written about civics in Ukraine. He's written about civics in Russia. And I think... We will teeter the line between both of those countries, um, but I have actually read your undergrad thesis mm. and uh, enjoyed it quite a bit. Great writer. Well, thank
1: thank. That makes me happy.
0: Yeah. Well, I'd say anything to make you happy. And uh, yeah, welcome to the show. Do you have any problems with that introduction? Is no, that I have no problems
1: uh, with that introduction at all. Um, you know, it's a, it's a pleasure to, to be on, obviously. I'm mm-hmm. just really excited about this project and... Um Yeah, so let's get to it. Awesome. And so
0: my first question is is pretty much what I'm going to ask everyone on this show. What do you call yourself?
1: Uh, I call myself, you know, I... I, you know, I have to think about this question because Mm. I have to write, you know, cover letters and, you know, job applications Mm. and internship requests and and we're 25 (laughs) (laughs) and, um, but on the other hand, right, I, I, I haven't decided what I'm going to do with my life, blah, blah. blah. So, you know, I, right now I call myself a cross-cultural facilitator Mm. because what I really love to do is to be the representative of one country or one culture you know, in in this other culture, in, in this other place, right? Um, so that you know, but so what does that mean? It means that when I'm in Russia, I love to be kind of representative of America and American mm-hmm. culture, and to talk about it and to kind of dispel myths about it. And then the same thing—the same thing—goes for when I'm here, right? When I'm in the United States, to be able to talk about Russia and you know talk about Russian culture, contemporary Russian culture, and also you know dispel any myths that that it may be. And so one part of that kind of cross-cultural facilitation is um, is, is really just kind of telling people about. You know, just giving them a much broader picture of what it's really like in these other countries I mean, especially a place like Russia. I think that, you know w- At least for me, I don't want to you know, speak for you or anybody else, but mm-hmm. when I was growing up, I had such Contact with Japanese culture through sure. you know, cartoons Dragon, or Z. Dragon Ball Z, you, you know, Yu-Gi-Oh is that, that's Japanese, right? Uh, sure. um, we'll any of any, like any of that stuff um, you know you have contact with you know Latin America you know Latin American culture and you know music obviously Europe um, you know even even China right um, but I was always fascinated by it, I felt like I didn't felt I didn't feel like mm-hmm. any pieces of Russia or contemporary Russian culture and certainly not Soviet stuff but, you know it's just sure. I didn't come into contact with mm-hmm. it when I was growing up and so then it always I always really became really interested in it and um and I, and I think I first got interested in Russian culture when I was in high school. We read a short story by Chekhov, mm. and um, which one? It was it was called "The Bet" mm-hmm. in Russian. Party. and um, and it's it's this really philosophical. Uh, you, <laughs> you ask about you know what you know what, what I call myself. It's just really th- philosophical um, short story about you know trying to trying to answer these questions about what is it worth doing in life and um, what you know professions or goals are worth pursuing and. And uh, also, you know, is it worth spending your time, you know, on, on things like reading, right? Versus, <laughs> yeah, I mean, some people might say probably not. But this this story, you know, tries to argue that, no, like reading is a very worthwhile, you know, sitting in a, in a quiet room by yourself and, you know, holding, you know, pages. Yeah, Check out pages. writing that
0: when half his country probably couldn't read. Yeah,
1: yeah. so he thinks that it's a very worthwhile, worthwhile thing 80%. to do, but it's argued in a way that it sounds very kind of. Dry and I guess kind of um, oh, what's the word? Just kind of you know trying to be very like authoritative and yeah, educate sure. you. And um, um, but no, it's it's not like that. It's it's very it's very well kind of thought out.
0: And- Excellent. And so today, I mean, the, you did a better introduction to yourself than I think I did. Um, we come from very similar backgrounds. I think I grew up. You know, my only exposure to Russian culture was Rocky IV, which I've heard is <laughs> inaccurate. Um, But in America, we've been told we're facing some sort of civics crisis, whether we were ever in a civics boom, I don't know. I don't think we ever were. Um, But then in a country like Russia and Ukraine, all we hear about their governments is that it's all bad. Mm -hmm. We don't Mm -hmm. hear, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't hear them talking about institutions. They don't hear them saying the same verbiage that we use Mm -hmm. about America. Um, And so civics plays into that where citizens don't know like the structure of their own government. Mm-hmm. And that's same here. It's probably the same in France. The same in any country you go to. My question is, why does this idea that is probably an issue universally attract you so much to Russia and Eastern Europe?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the answer is just that you know when I you know I was in, you know I was interested in Russia, and I agree. Our we have such a limited the way that Russia and, and Eastern Europe kind of are talked about when we talk when we talk about democracy. It's just it's just it's it's very undetailed and it's very, you know, oh, the authoritarian regime and this and it's very, very abstracted. And so you know, when I went to St. Petersburg to study um to study study abroad there, you know, I I was I was very interested in these mm. similar things, you know, and the you know, what about Putin and authoritarianism and this and how does it work? And this isn't a pre Trump and this is in a pre-Trump environment, absolutely. And so, you know, I was just fascinated. Well, I was just like, well, these students, what do they, people of my generation, what do they think about it? And so, you know, I show up to St. Petersburg and, you know, I'm at the study abroad program and we're at this university and we're you know, basically located in the political science department. So there's all these students going by. And then, you know, I, so I started talking, you know, I started talking to them about it, you know, and what I realize is that even the students studying political science, you know they can they they you know these are impressive kids who know a lot of stuff about like you know certain political philosophers and and mm-hmm, you know right. how did you know other things about political science but they don't even know who their own member you know their own representatives are mm-hmm. in the Duma they don't know anything about the Russian Constitution right. right and so then that's when a light bulb really kind of went off in my head and I realized that. All kind of the dominant narratives about democratization in Russia. It's all this very top down thing. If only, if only a certain leader could come to power. Mm-hmm. If only they could. If they didn't falsify the elections. It's a, it, it, And I'm and I'm just sitting there thinking. No, it's not these kind of simple solutions. Mm-hmm. It's the the reason that you know there's not democracy in Russia is that the people don't know anything about democracy or right. their own system and. Mm-hmm. And um, and then and then I, all these layers of it kept coming up. Like I went on Russian Wikipedia, and I realized that that the members of the of the of the Duma, the Russian Parliament. On their wiki, first off, not all of them even have a Wikipedia really? article, and then the ones that do, probably half or less than half even have a picture. Wow! So now, put yourself in the place of a Russian person growing mm-hmm. up, and you, you know, and you're you're from some region of Russia, and you go on Wikipedia. Oh, who's you know? I found I found out his name. Well, I want to read about him, and then you go on Wikipedia, and it's just a faceless, you know, a few right. sentences about him. That all forms your way, and so. I think to so many when I realized that for so many Russian people everything political is like this abstraction mm-hmm. everything immediately related to politics is a, turned into abstractive you know as soon as possible and from a very young age and so even something as simple as not seeing the people's faces of who represent mm-hmm. just makes them so distant and it and so, literally sounds like Victor Belavin. Novel, yeah, how we're discussing it. <laughs> yeah, but this, but this is all, this is all true. And I started like finding, hearing all these things, and telling all my you know friends about it, and they're all like, yeah, Matt, like that's all, that's <laughs> you're right. And so then that's kind of you know what, what made me want to write this this undergrad mm-hmm. thesis that I that I wrote and, and and kind of dispel these really popular narratives narratives about democratization sure. in Russia, and and then also kind of say to like the people who. You know who are also interested in this. Why are you not talking about civics? Mm-hmm. You know, um, you're, you're talking about like there's a cottage industry of books about Putin and how Putinism works and the the ide- the philosophy and ideology of contemporary Russian. But there are no books on. Well, I understand that there's no books. There there's much less information. Be happy to generalize on this yeah. show. <laughs> no, I I know I don't want to generalize too much. There's there's just not enough scholarly, or even more importantly, within Russia, journalistic. Mm-hmm. Attention around the, the right. lack of civics information crisis mm-hmm. in the country, and you do call it a crisis. You use that word. Yeah, that's that's the, that's what I call it. And I, and if we want to, you know, want to jump right to it, I mean, yeah. Then you know, then I'm in Russia, and then kind of the Trump era mm-hmm. starts, and we kind of have to confront what I which what I knew to be the case, but I was kind of. <sighs> Just kind of avoiding, I guess, for my narrow scholarly interest, which is that there's a civics crisis in in the United States as well. And it's something that's been going on um, for a long time. And I don't know if we want to jump right into this topic. No, let's jump in. Yeah. I mean, you know, and so, you know, so then of course I, you know, started reading about the history of civic education in the United Mm -hmm. States. And yeah, we were a model for the world and we were the country that had a mandatory public school system, but was also, you know, an old functioning. Uh, democracy, right. right? And we, you know, we'd ha- we'd had all, you know constitutional amendments, right? That were expanding kind of ac- access to democracy.
0: So are you reading textbooks when you're doing this? Or are you reading like old? Are you reading like Calhoun? Like you're reading like no, no, no. no.
1: I mean, I'm no. I w- I, I did I, I mean I did yeah I did then I because I looked at Russian civics textbooks for my Russian mm. project um, because I you know, I was fascinated. Well, ha- okay, well they do have this class in Russia called basically it's called I mean basically called you know they have one that's called like um, social studies, and they have one that's like law. Mm. And I, you know, I started. I wanted to find out what's in there. And um, you know, in, in the Russian textbooks, they, you know, they give you these. They give you these really dry facts, but there, and then, and then there's discussion questions about those facts, but there's never. The the, the there's the, the 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 student is never a subject of anything yeah, that's right. going on. That was the that was the almost laughable, incredible thing about. It. They never ask. What do you, you think about this okay. who is your candidate why, you know, why do you think that we in the in show it's just very very I think the you know as they say it's a paternalistic kind of model where you know the state just kind of says this mm-hmm. is what's right, and everything just kind of flows down from from there.
0: And that was your distinction: your thesis of uh, knowledge that versus knowledge how.
1: Yeah, right? right. And so this kind of idea of knowledge that versus knowledge how, right? Um, you can know facts like something happened on next date, or you mm-hmm. can you know. That's the knowledge that. That's the knowledge that, and then the knowledge how is you know, hey, how do I how do I vote? Right? What do I mm-hmm. need? What documents do I need to take with me? What when when are you know? What is the schedule for my local elections for the, the local mean- city? uh, Council, right? I'm
0: chuckling. uh, I was knocking on doors in Garland, Texas, and people were like, what are you midterms? Like, that's a novel idea. Like, they should do that every two years.
1: Yeah. And so, I mean, this was all, you know, a convoluted kind of, uh, um, you know, sideshow. And what I wanted to get back to is the United States. Sure. Um, we, 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 We used to be the pride. But then, you know, as we were talking about before we started, then... American education priorities really changed. Mm-hmm. We, you know, the Sputnik moment happened. The next and, day. Yeah. Um, you know, it, we, we'd come out of World War II and at first we were all about like, hey, democracy and this cool thing and let's make sure our people know about it. But then everything just really turned on a dime and mm-hmm. then then we had, you know, the, the whole science, the STEM push, which was which was a great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then that STEM push turned into the, the kind of the Reagan era um Stuff and there was the jokes about, hey, what, you know, what's the, the the nightmares when somebody says, hey, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. And we had this very kind of anti-government time. Mm -hmm. And then we had what, then what do we have? Then in the nineties, we had the old STEM people, the physicists. Um, uh, going into uh, business, right? Going writing, writing all the new financial instruments, and so then you know, in the wake of all of, the, of those kind of developments, the STEM era to the the kind of Reagan era to the, the '90s and kind of the the, the new focus on um, uh, global finance mm-hmm. all, during that kind of the, one of the biggest, I would say, um, results of our of those focuses was the way that civics education and kind of thinking about our democracy just kind of fell off totally. Right. And the you know the fact that less and fewer and fewer Americans were voting, it was talked about a little bit, you know, in the 90s, but it was ne- it was never really considered a problem. And um, I think it
0: wasn't a problem because I don't think people were that unhappy with who the leaders were.
1: Yeah. I
0: mean, I don't think Reagan Democrats were, you know, lamenting the uh, lack sure. of turnout in sure. certain parts sure. of the country. No. Um, and it wasn't until we got someone who Obama polarizing in his own ways, Trump polarizing in his own ways, that people thought this was an issue. Yeah. Which may, I mean, that's my whole question about the civics thing in general. It's do people know the rules of the game? Sure. Um, everyone knows they can vote though, yeah, and everyone probably knows they should. Um, do you think the issue is, do you think educating people on the implications of their vote are going to actually make them that more invested? when well, I think a lot of people that don 't vote it 's more active than we give it credit for. We mm-hmm. talk about all these things as ID restrictions or mm-hmm. infrastructure problems people voting, which is very real, mm-hmm. not downplaying that. But I'll link to people that don't vote, don't think their voice matters, or they're in a red state, they're going to vote blue, and they don't care, or vice versa, or they think the government hasn't done anything for me. Yeah. So how does, is civics changing that, or is civics just another thing to blame this on when the problem is something much larger?
1: Well, no. I mean, that's no, you're 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 obviously hitting. I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay your entire research. No, 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 no. You mean you're just you're just hitting on the whole. Conundrum that it's, you know, that I think researchers are interested in, but it's really hard to answer, which is just like, you know, half the country that doesn't vote. Are they not voting, be, you know, because they're angry, because they're cynical poor, because, because they don't know? Lack of knowledge? Or is it just like, no, I'm I'm living comfortably enough. Right. I've got water and electricity, mm-hmm. and I've got a job. And so, I, 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 like, voting is not like adding right. anything to my life, right? Just kind of in a kind of in any any way. And so, I'm a happily living person who mm-hmm. doesn't need to vote, and you know, and it doesn't really matter to me.
0: Reminds me that cartoon you showed me about uh, the Ru- uh, Russia and the EU, uh-huh. uh, you can, the uh, banana tax one. Yeah, um, you can explain it. But.
1: Um, well, I can't. Well, I can't. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah. There's a well. It's just Russia obviously has its own meme culture, and you know, just a very simple meme of it's like, it, oh, in in Europe. The you know food prices went up by two uh, percent, and right it shows a, a, a the whole town square is filled with <laughs> you know ten thousand protesters, right? In, in, in Russia, it's like I don't know, like you know the country's in economic crisis for seven years, and no, one no nobody nobody cares, right? There's, there's no nothing yeah, happening.
0: You know, that argument though of you know I have a job, I got a family, I don't need to be that involved in politics. The same argument happens in most of Europe, almost all the EU. But I mean, you try to take the subway in Spain, like you better prepare for a strike every other week. Yeah. I mean, so why do you think it's a civics problem or do you think it's a cultural interaction with government problem? Oh,
1: it could be the latter. And another really interesting thing to think about is, you know, if you follow kind of Putin and Russia, one of the other interesting strains of of the way kind of the the benefits of the current political system in Russia is that there are a lot of people who say like, oh, thank God that we just have Putin at the top. And because he's deciding everything, I don't have to worry about it. It's a relief that we have this very simple system where one man sits on top and and decides everything. and, And of course, you know, the people below him are, you know, causing all these problems. But them it, it's a it's a celebration mm-hmm. that i don't have to participate right and that is that is contrasted to the soviet era where everybody was forcefully oh you're going to go into pioneers and you kind of have to you kind of had to you know very specifically n- choose to opt out of the whole soviet civics um kind of right. societal upbringing now it's just you can you're you are free to do whatever you want and Uh, And people think, oh, I'm so glad they don't have to take the time to read about candidates. I'm so glad they don't have to, you know, I, you know, distract from my time with my family and my job to worry about this political stuff. Mm -hmm. And so they they really talk about it as kind of a benefit.
0: I mean, people talk about that. People might call that totalitarianism. That's classic liberalism. (laughs) That's Berlin, man. I mean, like that is what our country is founded on. The idea that, yes, you can be invested in politics, but... You have just as much right to not be, yeah. And that you, the things that you should worry about should not be political. And I mean, uh, classical liberalism, to, you know, hundred years ago is not what we yeah. call it today. So. No,
1: and that's a that's an excellent point that I that I agree with you on. And so, for me, the question kind of becomes like, you know, classical liberalism is great. Like, can 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 classical liberalism be a functioning? Model in modern society, in a lot of ways, I don't, I'm not sure that it, that model really, really can hold. And so I'm of the opinion that, you know, that, you know, societies that in the future are going to be, you know, successful are going to be the ones that kind of have a more interactive Mm -hmm. and a broader vision of. Um, of this idea of, of citizenship and kind of societal uh, participation I mean, again that doesn't mean that I'm not talking anything about like forcing anybody to do this blah, blah. Right. I'm just saying that like yeah I think it's I think it is really important that we say that you know here are these these things these you, know, you don't have to you don't have to be a part of them you don't have to get too involved but um, I think that um no, I, I think that 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 model would is going to have a lot of, a lot of trouble,
0: sure. And I mean, you know, we're talking about sort of the negative side of civics. Do you look anywhere? Do you look at the EU as like the ideal fashion of the civics or do you look Well,
1: no. I mean, within the EU, we've got we've got I mean, the, the civic situation is all over the place in Europe. We're in the same class, so we know exactly <laughs> yeah. the same thing about it so. Yeah, and you know, just as it is in the United States, by mm-hmm. the way. Um, so I, I have researched, um, you, know, civ- you know, civics in EU sure. countries, mo- mostly Sweden. Sweden is a country with a high voter turnout. It's a country where voters are knowledgeable, right? So they can quiz yeah. voters about facts and they know facts related to politics. So that's
0: civics litmus test. It is on. It's in the black
1: in Sweden, and yeah. it's in the red everywhere else, or not everywhere. else. Um, not everywhere else, but in a lot of other countries. Okay, so it's, there's truth to that yes, in some places. Yes, yes. Um, and and there also is evidence for the for the fact that. In in Australia in places with mandatory voting It's also that knowledge level is higher And and of course what's the biggest argument Against the uh, the Australian required voting or pay a fine deal Is you force people who are not Knowledgeable and don't want to To be part of this process um, and so that has moral reasons why that's a problem. The, 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 the policy reason why it's a problem is that you, you, you bring un, uneducated people to, to the polls. But that's but from what we know is mm-hmm. the, the, those un, the kind of the unknowledgeable people are kind of offset by the people who do do know stuff. And so it, it works for them, mm-hmm. whether that can work in a country that's, I, I think, maybe 20 or maybe. Australia? Oh, yeah. 14, I think. Yeah, so we're what, 40 times? Mass issues. We're is about much, 14. we, yeah, we're much, much bigger. And so that's that's what I really. Um, oh, what, I, I studied abroad in Australia. So but,
0: I, I remember forced voting day. Yeah. And I was like, wait, you just have to vote? Like, yeah. are you
1: crazy? Like, we're hanging out. He's like, yeah, got it. And, and so then if you think about the United States, um, you know, kind of as opposed to the EU, we, we've also, we're also, you know, we're a, we got all these 50 states and they're all doing totally different things in the plan right. of. Civic education. I don't know what it was like for you in um, in uh, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. but um, for us, my understanding is that public schools really you don't have p- civics until you have this one class called government mm-hmm. in like you know eleventh or twelfth grade. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and and then it's just like, hey, you're going to be a voter next year. Like, here is like the most basic things you should know. That's great. Um, and that and we and I had that class, but I think it should start much earlier. I think it should be like here's here's you know you're in second third fourth grade like you know n- not in a way that has to be you know politic obviously politicized or anything like that just whoa here's this document called the constitution like oh let's read it mm. and you know separate from history let's just kind of like right. think about it and talk about it and then also when you're younger say like oh as a, your homework project go find out who your um city council rep- representative is right. right and like what's one one uh, local measure that they supported or opposed, and mm-hmm. like, what, why did they? Why did they argue for okay. that? Right? Just even something as simple as that for a young person can. I think. I think it can. It can set off some light bulbs. Right. I mean, this is this is mostly anecdotal, but it can. I think it. I think it really can. Really can have a big um, effect. But in Sweden, what is working for them is hey, you you give them the the, the knowledge, the the knowledge that mm-hmm. when they're young. And then, as they get older, and, and as this stuff becomes more relevant to their life, then you start giving them the knowledge how like big doses, yeah. right? And so, I think that that's that's the model that has really been shown mm-hmm. to work best. You give them the knowledge that when they're young, and then when it gets time to use it, you show them how to do it. Sure.
0: And I, I mean, whatever your arguments for the Scandinavian countries, I'm like, yeah, that works all well in a 10 million person strong economy, no, with strong whoops, that's Finland, strong barriers, good resources. Is there ever going to be this positive bastion of civics in a 330 million diverse person country?
1: Well, look, we do have a federal system. Maybe, you know, Massachusetts or some, you know, smaller, We're basically
0: the Sweden of America.
1: Yeah, this yeah, maybe some state that's the Sweden of America could really lead on this issue. Um, but no, it's, it's 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 absolutely it's a huge challenge. Right. And and then the other thing that you did kind of touch on that I want to kind of come back to is the way that political polarization plays Into this mm-hmm. Now people have Started to realize that that Civics has really kind of fallen apart The, the, the political obstacle to changing Things for example the Texas legislature is Oh my gosh the, the fear Of politicized Partisan mm-hmm. teachers Secretly um, uh, Mixing their personal Opinions into right. the way that civics is taught And that fear is what blows Up the talk about um, improving or changing or you know just reforming civic education often yeah. legitimate I think legitimate often but again but I all I would say is that the the approach that I'm an advocate of and what I'm talking about that should not be a problem right you tell them things about the Constitution you say find out who you're you are represent the teacher is not really even giving opinions right mm. they're, they're giving assignments about who the people's own <laughs> their own interaction with sure. with with facts or with their own kind of representatives and. And then I think, and, and then if we talk about kind of the knowledge, how, and then the later stuff, the, the teacher's role is just kind of an, you know, is asking questions, right? right? Get, asking questions and letting the, the, the students answer for themselves. And you would have discussions, debates amongst themselves, but stay out of it. And so I think that those fears are, I think that they're overblown. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we can't return, if, I mean, if we can't even, if, if if we're so fear of partisan politics in talking about our country, that's, that's a really scary thought. And I don't know how we're going to recover from that.
0: No, it's not going to happen quickly. I mean, even when you're discussing this, like it's become such a difficult topic. I picture parents listening to their kids coming home from second grade and talking about the politicians in their state and them treating it like they're learning sex ed when they're (laughs) seven years old. Like, it's this thing that, no, you're not mature enough to think about that. You don't understand it enough to think about it. Um, But no, I agree. I mean, we're not on this podcast to solve the problems of America, but uh, this is something that is not talked about in the correct light. So we've kind of buried the lead on the civics discussion a little bit. You're on the show to talk about Basically displacing your Russian civics conversation and putting it over to Kiev. So tell me about what you're doing in Ukraine, and I want I want to know like what is the conclusion of your research going to look like? That's two mm-hmm. questions. Okay. Let's start with yeah. Ukraine. So
1: yeah, what are we doing in Ukraine? Well, first off, this is a project that was you know that four undergrads came up with and it was their whole thing, and they were just interested in how social media plays into. Uh, politics in Ukraine, and there's this presidential election going on in Ukraine. You mm-hmm. know, as we, you know, the campaign is going on right now. The first round of elections, I believe, is is, is next, you know, the, next month, and in March, and then there's almost certainly going to be a second round between the, the top candidates. And so, right, they, what they are, were interested in is like, you know ukraine It's this fresh democracy, right? There's the, the the most recent Maidan revolution, which was actually the second Maidan. The first one was called the Orange Re- Revolution. Mm-hmm. And so, they, I mean, what they were interested in is like, you know, what is this young generation thinking about politics? And are they, you know, are they cynical? Are they going to be different from their parents? Are they engaged? Are they not engaged? And, and so I kind of came into this project um, later and kind of in, as the graduate kind of, Tag along, and you know, and then of course I started, you know, making my imprint a little bit about that. Uh, uh, I tried to put my uh, my thoughts into it a little bit, and I said, hey, like we can't really we can't forget the civic education angle um, uh, in this. And so what we're doing is we are having these focus groups uh, with Ukrainian students periodically from different cities. So we have Kiev, Odessa, Ivana Frankivsk, Lviv, and uh, Kharkov. Um, so different cities um, across Ukraine, and we are having these Skype kind of conversations with them, where we ask mm-hmm. them like, "Hey, you know, what social media do you use? Um, hey, what are your thoughts on the presidential election? What, who are the candidates you like, don't like?" Gotcha. And then we say, and then you know, and then we get all kinds of answers, and mm-hmm. we we've had so much fun just kind of breaking down all what, the different answers. What's the
0: answers number th- total and this? How many students?
1: Oh, so. Um, so Ukrainian students. I mean, we've probably had maybe there's probably been maybe six focus groups, and so we'll probably maybe have two two or three more. I don't know. Okay. So we're talking about groups of maybe I don't know in total um, maybe forty. Yeah, yeah. Let's say forty Ukrainian students. About. Sure. And um, and so we are gonna right continue to have these these Skype calls with them, and then we're gonna go to Ukraine this summer and meet them and kind kind of have a really a really and formal nice. long sit down within the other big thing that we're doing is this this survey we have a survey of about 40 questions we did it in ukraine or excuse me in ukrainian and in russian and i i was i was really happy about this because i got that some of my nice. questions from my own undergrad work that we've been talking about and got to slip those in there um and so we're asking you know just you know it's a long form multiple choice and we're saying like you know what social media do you use um uh you know, we ask them civics questions about the Constitution. What do they know about Ukraine? Do you know your representative? We ask them. You know, you know, are you optimistic about Ukraine? We ask them. You know, just tons of stuff sure. about. Um, politics and, and media in, in Ukraine and kind of um, whether they're optimistic or pessimistic and kind of understanding their views. And then the final element of the project is we are doing social media monitoring. And we're very lucky to have uh, Kirill Avramov, who's, uh, who's a visiting scholar, uh, help us out with this. And we're looking at um, social media. So we are, we are following certain influencers in Ukraine um, you know, I, I'm actually following an influencer who is a uh, has a satirical satire program, basically okay. like the the Ukrainian Daily Show sure. or. You know Seth Meyers, right? Tonight comedy show, or or, or like John Oliver or something, mm-hmm. where you know he makes fun of you know Ukrainian news and politics and stuff, and it's it's extremely well done, mm-hmm. and it's funny, and it's 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 relevant and sharp, and um, and so I follow him as, as an influencer, and so what we have a code book. Uh, I I think we it consists of like maybe 20-ish questions that we're looking for. And we follow all the posts that this guy makes on social media and say, is it is it positive or negative? What's the sentiment? Does it reference any um, uh, uh, conspiracy theories? Is it pro a certain candidate? Um, how many likes mm-hmm. and shares does it have? All these kinds of things. And so um, what we're trying to figure out is kind of make a, a map of what how this whole political campaign is being discussed online. And so we have some hypotheses that mm-hmm. oh it's going to be it's a very negative cynical thing or 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 hey the people are optimistic but the influencers cynical right. So we're we're just trying to see what we we find. And so in addition to following these influencers, we're also following uh you know our Ukrainian participants these focus sure. groups people. And so we we're following them. We're seeing what they post whether or not it's political or not. A lot of it's not even political right, but there's right. we can still find out a lot. Is it optimistic pessimistic? You know what are, what are the top that they're mm-hmm. posting about, and um, and so the idea is that we're going to get a ton of data, and then we're just going to do an analysis,
0: objective of of
1: analysis of this kind of bulk data, and then mm-hmm. see what if there's any interesting kind of conclusions we can find. And so it's a really Ambitious, yes. multifaceted project with so many moving parts. And again, these these undergrads proposed it um, within this big kind of grant called the, like I think it's the President's Award for Global Service. And so, and they had all this documentation written. And so they you know they were the ones who really came up with it. I was just happy to be invited to mm-hmm. tag along. And then I think that I mean I don't, don't want to sound kind of too self aggrandizing, but I think that I was able to add, I was able to help them kind of round out. The picture they're going to get from this project by really adding the whole civic education component to it, and really sure. making sure that that's part of all of the stages that they're looking at. And so, I, I couldn't be more excited about this project and optimistic about the the, 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 the worth and the kind of the, the value of what we're going to get from it. And so,
0: yeah, that's fantastic. With the put and so I mean in your own i mean you probably know where the scales are going to fall a little bit let's just say compared to russia which we know stringent state-controlled media although they let that like you know five percent leak out to be mm-hmm. like no, oh, look at this mm-hmm. one oh, yes. and so i mean are you expecting a little more cynicism in ukraine compared to russia and, and almost i was curious about the subjective measure of that because i mean comedy in general is you're taking the piss out of someone? I think just at the end of the day, that's what it is. Unless you're a Brit, you're taking the piss out of yourself. That's mm-hmm. so. How do you? It's first question: How are you going to see the difference between the two countries, and how are you going to measure something along those lines?
1: Yeah, I mean, so it's interesting. Like I, I am the one really interested on you know comparing and contrasting Russia. Yes. The this, this Ukraine project that I'm on, I'm on right now, they are not really doing it compare and contrast. Um, they don't have that element with another country. But yeah, that this is what is extremely interesting for me. My working hypothesis on this is right. Be, be, because my research is that I want to do exactly what I did in Russia that mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier. I want to do that exact same thing in Ukraine. So you Trojan
0: want... horsing. Your yeah. Horses, so.
1: Yeah. I'm kind of right. Just taking what I did in Russia and copying, mm-hmm. pasting it um, onto Ukraine. And my working hypothesis right now is that um, civic knowledge is going to be about where it was in Russia, which is you know not in a very great state in terms of you know knowledge, mm-hmm. but that that there's still going to be a little bit more optimism in Ukraine even versus Russia, which is really hard for these other because for them Ukraine is already it's like oh it's so cynical oh it's mm-hmm. so doom and gloom and I'm like I don't know I think that the, the, the I think the tones are going to be more optimistic and I think that. Um, I think that people are gonna are gonna say that, and I think that at the end of the day, people are gonna be more participatory, even if they mm-hmm. know don't know that much. Sure. And um, and so then the issue is like, hey, you know, is, is participation in and of itself good, even if it's you know kind of uninformed participation in political processes? And I think that for a nation like Ukraine, the answer is absolutely yes, because we could, the other thing we can obviously go into is is kind of the hybrid war that's being waged against mm-hmm. Ukraine and. And the fact that, I mean, they, yeah, I mean, they need to bring the nation together because this is, I mean, this is really serious stuff and life mm-hmm. and death stuff and people dying. And so um, for them, yeah, I think being able to mobilize um, um, people, including young people, into politics is is, is, is happening successfully. And um, and I think it's kind of a chicken and the egg question. Do people only get involved if they know enough things or do they get involved and then through getting involved, find out all this stuff? <coughs> Um, I mean, that's the question I'm interested in, yeah. but I, I think it's one that you can't really ultimately decide. It's wild that quickly this
0: gets like human nature. Like we want to talk about civics and participation, but then it so quickly it goes into why am I participating? Why am I part yeah. of this country? Yeah. Yes, yeah, you know, ideology is a tricky bastard.
1: Yeah, it's so funny. Um, just one more little anecdote. You know, when I as I started reading about y- Ukraine, one of the things that I did notice early that was different from Russia is that people like a lot of young Ukrainians who did take part in the protest movements that were across Ukraine a lot of them said that they had specifically because they had read in their constitution that hey we have these rights and hey we have these organs and hey the, the, our constitution is being violated and that was exactly why mm-hmm. and then there was other Ukrainians who were you know were active in they fit, knew things were wrong, and so they got active in kind of volunteerism, cleaning up their their uh, their local communities, right? Removing mm-hmm. you know garbage heaps and stuff like that. And the reason they got involved in that kind of um, more c- c- you know civil um, or kind of um, oh, what's the word? Just kind of like volunteering as opposed to politics mm-hmm. is precisely because they didn't know anything about uh, politics. What they they did actually do, yeah. What they wanted but they to wanted do to do something, yeah. and so they still were do something. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in Russia, I think that there's just still at a much lower level, um, even, you know, forget the people who know stuff about politics and want to change things, but just a lower level of people who think that the, even volunteerism and, and even more mm-hmm. kind of non-political civic engagement can do, be a lot of a lot of good. Mm-hmm. And so that's a difference that I've already noticed. It's
0: probably saying that because, I mean, if you were to read the Russian Constitution, you'd be like, man, these pigs in America, they don't know how to run their country. Well, besides, you know, the fact that, you know, the president can shut down the legislative organs, yeah, they don't agree yes, with them.
1: yes, so, yes.
0: Yeah, it's just tricky. And so, I mean, I would say, large, so you got to the conclusion of your research. Um, I would want to finish by asking Ukraine in 10 years, what are the chances that it's part of the EU, it's exactly the same, and I'm not going to say it's a part of Russia, but Russia's soft influence gets stronger,
1: uh huh. Yeah. As far as Ukraine, for about the ten-year perspective, what what can I say? Um, I'm I'm optimistic about Ukraine. I'm also optimistic about Russia. I'm a little bit more optimistic about Ukraine in the shorter term, mm-hmm. um, because you know, the, the kind of the 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 nation has come together because of what they they've been going through, mm-hmm. and the the grand irony to the whole thing is that there was a, a wonderful article in Foreign Affairs just two weeks ago about how and it was titled, You Wish You Had Ukraine's Democracy. (laughs) And it was, at first I was like, I literally laughed just like you did. And it was the most well-argued essay about how Ukrainian democracy is is more in society right now is more mm-hmm. democratic than oh, by the way Poland and Hungary, yeah. these EU states that are going through massive backsliding, mm-hmm. cynicism, low lowering participation rates.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, whereas Ukraine is on the opposite. We have we're getting more and more participation, right? And, and then they, and then what makes it so interesting is that these Ukrainians who want to be the part of the EU who are not are you know especially among kind of more educated. People they are very well aware of what's going on in Ukraine Mm -hmm. and Hungary and they and so because they see their former you know kind of nations they look up to going through this now they are even before they get in the EU they are already well aware of the kind of democratic backsliding that could happen so they are they're they're taking it in mind and so for that reason I think that Ukraine is going through this kind of th- this formative period from multiple levels that I think is, is, is going to be is going to be helpful for them and now the opportunities you have so many Ukrainians you know go, going traveling across Europe going to the United States and Canada and all mm-hmm. over the place and I think the the, the perspectives are, are going up and I don't know if they'll be a part of the EU but I don't know if you saw it's now in their constitution that they're going to be in the EU and NATO oh, they're the first EU country- as
0: well yes wow
1: Yes, there. I mean, they're the first country I think in the history of to have in the history, EU and to, yeah, to have that we will be like we wow. must join the EU and NATO as part of their constitution. It was something that Petro Poroshenko uh, got passed just I, I think just a few that. weeks wow. ago. Yeah, and so they, I mean, they they are determined to be the part of the EU and NATO. So I think that they will be successful at that. Um, will will it happen within ten years? If you had to. You know, force me to give an answer, I would probably say no. 11. But if you say 20, within 20 years, I, I, I would, I think it's better better than a 50 50 chance.
0: Well, I mean, that's interesting you say they are looking at Poland and Hungary. And for those who don't know, like, the line between Poland and Ukraine in the last 50 years, I mean, like, they've been the same country. There's been areas that have been claimed by both. There, it's.
1: Yeah. And then, and then, oh, yeah, so there's the, the history between them. But the past 15 years, until about, yeah, about, you know, until this most recent government came to power in Poland Mm -hmm. Poland was what Ukraine that was their model it was that was the state that was most like us that presented the model they were us they They were us and they were so similar to us and and that's why so many young Ukrainians that's Mm -hmm. where they that's like there's like there's you know several hundred thousand Ukrainians living in Poland and Mm -hmm. and that's who they wanted to be um and and so no, I think that they've they've learned the the right lessons, and so and so now. But now they've seen Poland kind of go through this backsliding, and now they're very kind of deliberate to say, we don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. We want to take the good things off the bad things. So I think that Ukraine is being you know it's, it's being put in a I guess the I guess the cliche is like a trial by fire, mm-hmm. and that's really gonna they're gonna come out stronger than some nations that are you know just kind of in a lull mm-hmm. or a malaise or, or kind of or, or, how do we. Uh, a sleepwalking sleep, nation Sleepwalking and just kind of a Slow deterioration of their democracy No, Ukrainian democracy will survive A trial by yeah. fire because it has to So,
0: I mean, I think I share that optimism I mean, you know, we're talking about Russia You know, we just talk about Russia And people think they're one of the best economies in the world They're about the south of Poland If that, the pressure points we can put on Russia If they still want to be this Disrupting power are so much larger Than we can put on a country You can't pressure Ukraine to do anything because it's a small economy. Like, what are we actually going to do? Are we going to invade? Are we going to sanction this country that at biggest exports is agriculture? No, we're not going to do that. So they are so much more determined. They have so much more power over their outcome than, say, a country like Russia. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I think it's it's going to be interesting. Yeah. It's going to affect our careers quite a bit and where we end up and how yeah. these countries look. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I'm very excited about your research. Uh, last thing I want to say. What is the most interesting thing you have read, seen, heard in the last month?
1: Oh dear! It could I,
0: be about Ukraine. It could be about the Oscars. Yeah, geez,
1: no, no. I mean, I, I should have. Yeah, I wish I had kind of more time to think about this. I mean, I do. I do read a lot of stuff. No, that that foreign affairs article I mentioned mm-hmm. about you, you wish you had Ukraine's democracy was was really good. Um, and, then, and then the other thing that I think we, we mentioned off air was that just that I'm reading this, uh, this fiction by a contemporary Russian author, mm-hmm. this this uh, translator of David Foster Wallace into Russian, and I'm reading his first novel, his debut novel, of this much-celebrated translator, and, I, and I'm really enjoying it so far. And so, no, that's, that's what I'm reading right that now. sounds awesome. Yeah. Well,
0: thanks for coming on the show. This is great. Thanks for
1: having me. I hope to be on again
0: soon. Yeah, you can host me sometime. Yeah, <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> does it tell you? your day. The views, opinions, and ideas expressed on this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the show or the University of Texas. Thank you for listening to The Slavic Connection. Please visit slavxradio.com for more information and to subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel. As always, we invite listener feedback, so please send us your comments. The Slavic Connection is produced by the Center for Russian, East European, and Eurasian Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. Thank you.